How are we doing with this Buddhist concept of power? For those of you who were last week, it, it was kind of fun, but I could see a little bit in the audience, people are going, you know, this is a very different way of looking at power. We're using this book called The Art of Power by Thich Nhat Hanh. And last week, uh, for those of you who are here, we kind of dispelled, if you will, current ideas of what power are. Most of us, I think, are trained to think that power is represented by maybe prestige and money and, and uh, personal influence and, and even maybe by the kind of the stuff that we've acquired tends to define us as powerful or successful. And quite the reverse, uh, last week we're, we were really told to take a good look at this, that these very things that society might say defines success may indeed bring us unhappiness. So today we're going to expand about that a little bit more. The, the title of the talk here is Getting What We Really Want. And, uh, and, and uh, of course, those of you who have been in the science of mind for some time know that we often talk about getting what we really want, right? We talk about changing our mind and having maybe a mental equivalent about what we want in our mind so that the universe can, can artfully conspire with us to, to bring about that, that very heart's desire, if you will, by having a mental image of it, maybe by doing a science of mind affirmative prayer around it, um, affirmations. We have a, a variety of tools. And yet, and yet the Buddhist would say, this is not the issue. The issue isn't about the how to get it. We have lots of tools in the world for how to get what we want, including what we teach here on Sunday in terms of the, the science of mind and changing our thinking to have a different outcome in the world. The, the Buddhist talking about power would say, it isn't the how, it's the thing that we're wanting. <laughs> the Buddhist would say we need to be really careful about what it is that we say that we want. And so, of course, I managed to find a joke about this. Um, in, in fact, of course, it involves a genie. Okay, so one, man, uh, one day a man spotted a lamp by the roadside. He picked it up, he rubbed it vigorously, and voila, a genie appeared. I'll grant you your fondest wish, said the genie. Now the man thought about it for a minute because he was in kind of a dead-end job. And he was thinking, you know, what I really want is the perfect job, the perfect vocation, the, the sort of perfect life's work. And so he said, I want a spectacular job. I want a fulfilling job. I want a job that really would allow me to test both the limits of my ability to do fantastic work and also provide me with the highest reward, the highest sense of success. Well, the genie folded his arms, nodded his head, and poof, made him a housewife. <laughs> all right, all right, you know, pardon me for that. But I think this really fits into our theme well today because. Are we clear about what we want? If we're going to learn all these tools on, uh, on Sunday in terms of spiritual tools, if we're going to learn these tool, tools out in the world in terms of training programs and things like that, the idea is around all of these, around all of our sort of education, if you will, to make us better at something, to provide us more experience to, to do something. And, and my question is, and the Buddhist question, is the it... Is that the thing we want really what will be useful to us? 
Here's what Thich Nhat Hanh says about this idea of wanting things. He says, We may deceive ourselves into thinking that our concern with wealth, power, and fame is the means by which we are more effective in bringing happiness to ourselves and others, in providing jobs or helping the environment. But we must be careful not to fool ourselves. It's important to distinguish between the indulgence of craving and true happiness. Happiness exists in many forms, but happiness does not come from the objects of craving. So let's talk about this just a little bit more. What is an object of craving? I think we're used to this idea of success, this idea of um, uh, getting what we want in kind of a Madison Avenue sort of way. Do you know what I mean? The, the ad agencies are at, at work out there, and most of the messages that we have in the world are if you look a certain way, if you have a certain set of things, if you have the right education, if you have the right hairdo, if you hang out with the right friends, if you make the right kind of context, do you know what I mean? Then you will be happy. And so the message kind of is, um, you know, I look out in the world and I try to find the things and the people and the situations that I'm going to base my happiness on. But oh my gosh, is this dangerous or what? The other thing that I often hear people talk about is their happiness, because it is based on things, is kind of always out there. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the young couple who says, you know, when, when my child, you know, I can't wait until my child is in school because then I'll finally get some of our time back. We'll be able to have some time for us and we'll, we'll really have a chance at being happier. And then, then once the, the kid is in school, it's, you know, I really can't wait till he graduates from high school because then we'll finally have some of the money and some of the time to spend with ourselves and, and, and really our life can be a little bit happier. And then when he graduates from high school, it's, you know, I can't wait until I retire because when I retire, I'll finally, have the time and the money to do what I want and you know we can go on that month-long vacation that we've always dreamed about and then when you retire it's something else it's always something else what is it that will truly bring us happiness because I don't think it's the stuff you know in America today the standard of living is double what it was 20 years ago and yet all of the statistics will tell us that Americans are no more happier with our double amount of stuff <laughs> than what we were then. In, f in fact, the suicide, the suicide rate is higher now than it was 20 or 30 years ago. Um, you know, uh, some forms of crime are higher now than they were 20 years ago. So, so if it isn't about the stuff, then what is it? What is this it? that we should be striving for? What will truly make us happy? Well, the book has, um, the, the book has um, a place to start here. And in Buddhism, it's called The Four Noble Truths. And I want to go through these um, fairly simply here today. The first noble truth, which is um, kind of a mouthful, is that suffering exists. 
And I say it's a mouthful. In science of mind, we don't like to talk that much about suffering. We don't like to talk about the negative aspect of things. And yet in Buddhism, what you will find is that the elimination of suffering is just as important as the acquisition, if you will, of happiness. And a Buddhist will tell you it goes hand in hand. We need to work on reducing our suffering in the world. And by suffering, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, like a a horrible medical condition or abject poverty. Really, suffering is anything that takes away from your sense of fulfillment and happiness. So so suffering could be a purely mental thing, for instance. It could be being in a dead-end job. It could be feeling unfulfilled at work or or family uh, relationships that have gone poorly for you. So, so suffering could be just dissatisfaction even. doesn't have to be suffering in the sense of uh, abject poverty or um, um, terrible disease or something like that. So Buddhism says we work on eliminating suffering even as we work on playing up and enhancing our ability to be happy in the world. So the first of the noble truth is that suffering exists, and the second noble truth is really powerful and really simple, and that is that suffering has causes. And so if we can find the cause, and no surprise here, what are most of the causes They're mental causes, right? Uh, Buddhism, of course, understands that there is physical suffering in the world. There are people that do go to bed hungry. There are people living in poverty or with disease, yes. But for most of us, for most people on the planet, the suffering, the unhappiness, the discord that um, that we experience is purely up here. It's purely in our mind. So suffering has causes, and most of our suffering can be alleviated by changing our thinking. Well, now, there's an interesting science of mind thought, isn't it? The third noble truth, similar to suffering exists, is simply that happiness exists. And in fact, happiness is possible and one of the birthrights for everyone living on the planet. The Buddhist would say, Every single one of us is deserving of and capable of living in complete happiness. And the fourth noble truth is that there is a path towards happiness. Even as there is a path for reducing and eliminating suffering and unhappiness, there is a path for happiness. So I'm going to embark upon now something a little different in a religious science church. Usually on Sunday we say, you're empowered, you get to choose what you're going to think, and we in the church here, whether it be a practitioner or a minister or or just one another as peers, we will support you to our best in getting what you want. But one of the things that I've always loved about science of mind is you decide what it is you want, Right? So today we're going to actually take a little bit different tact because Buddhism would say much of the suffering on this planet has been from people getting what they want. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's like if you think about war, if you think about poverty, it has been through some people getting what they want at the expense of other people not getting much of anything. And so the Buddhists would say, let us focus on a couple of key essentials. Let us, up front, choose the it. And let it be 
most often one or two things. And the first one we talked about already today, and even in fact a little bit last week, and that's happiness. If instead of having our goal as more money, if instead of having our goal as more prestige or more power or things like that, if our goal is happiness for ourselves and for others, then the rest of the good stuff will flow to support that. So it's a little bit turning things on, our, uh, um, on, on its head. We're used to thinking, when I get the more money, then I'll be happy. When I get the prestige, then I'll be able to live more fully. And Thich Nhat Hanh here is saying, no, 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 let's start the other way around. Let's understand what really makes us happy, and then the money will come to support it. Then the prestige will come to allow it to be fleshed out in the world. But the care here is that we're not just going for the stuff. Because we've already proven that just doubling the standard of living in the United States didn't make anybody any happier. So it's not the acquisition of the stuff. The stuff will come once we've figured out what really will make us happy. Now that no one can do for us but ourselves. But I, have a, I want to offer up just a few clues. I'll only speak for myself, but I know happiness for me involves the people that I love. When the people that I love are around me and we're in harmony, when we're enjoying one another's time and the gifts that we give to one another, this, this above all things makes my heart sing. And I can't help but wonder that there's a part of family and friends and the joviality of being with, uh, with people that you hold close to you, that that's probably got to be high on your list. The other one also, I think, is very simple, and it's one of the things that is uh, mentioned several times in this book on power, and that is the desire to be useful. For those of you who know me, um, often uh, people will say, you know, you're, you're a great guy, but i got to tell you, you light up on Sunday. And I want to tell you, it isn't necessarily because I like being up here on the stage. In fact, I, I went through quite a period of time when I was pretty uncomfortable as a public speaker. But I will tell you, if I light up on Sunday, it's because I'm feeling useful. With no strings attached... I'm standing up here giving people tools to hopefully take back some of their own lives, to find greater happiness, to feel more empowered, to sense a greater freedom. And if I can give that by standing up here and, and talking a bit on Sunday, that is so fulfilling. That is me feeling amazingly useful. What makes you feel useful in the world? Is it how you show up with friends and family? Is it a special gift that you have at work? Is it a way of being in the world that just speaks of love and freedom? Is it a, perhaps a trade that only you can do? Or is it a way of being with people that is very unique and very needed? I can't answer this question any more than I can answer the happiness question for you, but I know that you can 
I know that you, if you put aside the, the quest or the desire for money and prestige, if you put aside these cravings that sometimes we have for, for sex or um, substances, if we put aside what we think of as our needs for acquisition, I remember the Star Trek series when they brought on the Ferengis, do you remember the Ferengis and they had the, the 200 rules of acquisition? And it was an entire society built on people getting things. And I remember at the time thinking, you know, what's interesting about this is it kind of portrays a little bit of what's going on in America today. Madison Avenue says we need to keep getting things. And once we have that, then we need the next year's model. <laughs> and then once we have that, we need the one that's bigger and can seats five. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it's always kind of one thing that smells better, that tastes better, that's bigger, that lasts longer. And I'm here to tell you, this is like a craving that can never be satisfied. This is not what will make us happy. So in closing today, I want you to think about life as kind of a, a continuum. And if the Buddhist idea of suffering is on one far end of the continuum, and the Buddhist idea of sort of bliss or, or um, permanent happiness is on the other one. Most of us, most of the time here, are, are somewhere in the middle. And I'm suggesting that we can use these four noble truths to help us move us along this continuum. If, as we work our way through looking at places where our life isn't going so well, this idea of suffering, if we find out that some of those suffering components are connected to ideas and cravings and the, the, you know, the acquisition of stuff, we can deal with that. We can minimize that part of our life that deals with getting and getting and getting. Do you know what I mean? And likewise, we can then actively work on this side of the continuum as well. What really makes me happy? Let's highlight the things that really allow me and my family and the people around me to maximize our time together, our harmony together, our, our love. This is the approach I think that we can take that's a very sensible one, a very science of mind one, and a very Buddhist one. I want to follow up with uh, just another quote in here about this idea of suffering. We don't need to be afraid of suffering, you know. We can confront it. If you try to run away from it, you will never have a chance at transformation. The Buddha taught that we should look at suffering in terms of nutriments. You have consumed in a way that has brought about this suffering. If you can look deeply into the nature of this consumption and identify its source of nutriments, right? Those, those ideas of, you know, am I going for things just for the sake of getting them? Am I, am I seeking for sex without love? Am I seeking for material gain uh, with no good purpose to it? This is that idea of, of taking on improper nutrients. If you're aware of this, he says, you are already on the path to emancipation. All right, so just a bit of homework today. First of all, look into your own life 
Is there suffering? And, and again, it doesn't have to be that grand opera style of suffering. It could be dissatisfaction with a relationship. It could be um, a job that isn't going the way you want it. It could be issues of not quite feeling good enough or powerful enough. Whatever it is, look inwardly. Look at these ideas of suffering in your own heart. And can you attach them to one of these ideas of craving? Are you thinking that if only I had more money, this suffering would go away? Are you thinking that if only people loved me more, do you know what I mean in the sense of acquisition, then I'd feel okay? If this is true for you, these are the clues to where to start illuminating things in your life, where to really start reorienting yourself. You know, it should be less about the next promotion and more about the next way of expressing your love to your friends or family. You know, the, the idea of happiness again. And then the second bit of homework is, simply, I'd like each one here, if possible, know what makes you happy. If you put aside the, the money, if you put aside the stuff, because there's no guarantee that the stuff is going to bring you happiness. In fact, it works the other way. I will guarantee that if you're happy, the stuff you need will come to you. So what is it beyond the things, around the situations, around the people, around the externals, put those aside, what would make you happy? What would make you feel useful? So let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this thing called life. And what I know about life is that it is irrepressible. It is love and bloom. It is the goodness and the, the wildness and the joyfulness that is life. This is life. This is God. And what I know without question that this effervescence and quest for, for simply the delightful nature of God, the delightful nature of life is in me and it is in each person in this room. Each person here has a greater quality, a, a, a greater idea of what true happiness is in their own terms. Each person here also has that clarity of areas of suffering in their lives and the ability to look at them from a dispassionate way and begin weeding them out, to begin weeding out these cravings and quests for things that really do not bring happiness. Also, and finally know for each person in this room that there are ways of fundamentally feeling useful and happy and that the clarity around what these are and how to express them come to each person gently and easily and in their own time, allowing each person here to have that greater sense truly of happiness and usefulness. And so it is with great gratitude that I simply release this prayer. I release it into the activity, into the action of the law itself, knowing that each person here is blessed, knowing that each person here is a blessing. I just let it be, and so it is. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here. Thank you.